0: The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at CloroxHealthcare.com. Welcome to C. diff, Spores, and More with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy
2: Kerala. Welcome and thank you for joining us today on C-Diff Spores and More Global Broadcasting Network. We would like to thank you and thank you for joining us today and thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Visit the Clorox Healthcare website to learn more about their products, keeping everyone safer, cloroxhealthcare.com forward slash C-Diff Radio. Today we welcome our guest, Dr. Niranjan Kisun and Ray Schachter, a sepsis survivor. In this episode, we will hear from the Dr. Kassoon, a well-known physician from Canada, who will provide us with the insight into the global phenomenon of sepsis. Sepsis affects more than 30 million lives per year, and yet it is almost unknown to the general public. The reason of why, that is, with the why sepsis is so deadly, and what we can do to increase sepsis awareness, will be discussed during the next 60 minutes. Uh, Ray Schachter is a sepsis survivor who now dedicates his time raising awareness of sepsis worldwide. Both guests are members of the Global Sepsis Alliance, which has established World Sepsis Day on September 13th every year to raise awareness for sepsis worldwide. At this time, I would like to welcome Dr. Kassoon to the program and thank you for joining us today, Doctor, and it is a pleasure to have you here and with us today on this program to discuss this very important topic.
3: Thank you, Nancy. It's my pleasure to be here.
2: Well, thank you. And we are just so happy that you are here today. And Dr. Kassoon, let's start with the basics. Can you tell our worldwide listeners what is sepsis?
3: Yep. Sure, I can. Yes, sepsis in its uh, most common term that people may understand is what is called blood poisoning, colloquially, but it is really a syndrome or condition that arises when there's the host responds to a very severe infection, and it causes organ dysfunction in the body. So sepsis can be caused by any infection that is severe enough that it causes systemic symptoms organ dysfunction in the body, and it can lead to death and disability if not recognized and treated very quickly.
2: Exactly. And, Doctor, what are the different types of sepsis?
3: Well, the, the, the sepsis can be caused by any infectious organisms. So when we hear someone with, say, pneumonia, which everyone may understand, them um, gets very sick end up in a in a hospital or dies from pneumonia that pneumonia leads to sepsis bacteria can lead to sepsis any bacterial diseases so people may hear about hemophilus influenza or streptococcus or staphylococcus viral infection so hemophilus uh, sorry influenza ebola is sepsis malaria can cause sepsis so any infection leads to a final common pathway So, one can have, for instance, uh, uh, symptoms of, let's say, a common cold during the influenza season, and this can lead to respiratory failure, it can lead to kidney failure, it can lead to sepsis. If you have, uh, for instance, um, uh, uh, diarrheal diseases, or you may have bowel perforation, or you may have any infection in your skin or bones or anywhere in the body. So, One would say that it is the final common pathway of all infections. Different infections may uh, be localized to different parts of the body, but the final common pathway, when it becomes severe enough to uh, enter the bloodstream and cause organ dysfunction, it is sepsis.
2: Okay, and thank you for that thorough explanation, Doctor. And we've heard a, a term called septic shock. Can you briefly explain to our listeners what that is?
3: Sure. So let me go back a bit. So when uh, um, someone gets infected with an organism and it invades their bloodstream and their body, uh, we call that sepsis. And that may be uh, very mild in its early stages. In fact, in many cases, it may not be recognized as sepsis at that stage. We then hear, uh, if, if it continues, they tend to have severe sepsis. And severe sepsis means there is organ dysfunction. So, for instance, they may be passing less urine. There may be kidney dysfunction. They may have breathing problems. They may have a, a heart failure um, as, a for, uh, as a cause of sepsis. They may have a sort of brain dysfunction where they are getting a sort of a drowsy or even comatose. So, that's severe sepsis. The most extreme form is when there is cardiovascular function in which there is what we call septic shock, where the patient now uh, has a condition in which the heart is unable to provide the nutrition to the rest of the body. It's not pumping very well, so their blood pressure may get low. They may get cool peripheries, and now this is the stage where the body starts to decompensate. So when we talk about sepsis, there's a wide spectrum of it, but septic shock is the most uh, uh, sort of... uh, uh, late stage of sepsis, it is the most dangerous stage, and it is associated with higher mortality and morbidity.
2: Okay. Well, thank you, Doctor. And, Doctor, um, are there generalized symptoms that an individual would notice or or that they would think that they have sepsis?
3: Yes. Initially, um, many of us have coughs, cold, and simple infections. We may have fever, But uh, when we have fever, chills, rigors, malaise, we may have cough, loss of appetite, and a general feeling um, of lack of energy, uh, I think we need to consider sepsis. So the fact is that what makes it more dangerous is that there's no one sign or symptom that specifically points towards sepsis. But if someone is feeling any one of these signs and symptoms, and also if someone has underlying conditions that may uh, uh, compromise their immune response, for instance, those who have uh, cancers, those who are on steroids, those who are in immune, um, immune therapy, all those conditions and those who are malnourished or weakened by other diseases and the extremes of age, they are all more prone to sepsis and hence uh, it should be taken seriously. So, um I think that in those conditions and where you feel that this is, not out, this is out of the ordinary, this is either an illness that is going on uh, more prolonged than it usually is, it's, the symptoms are more and more severe than they usually are with you, those are the, the situations in which you need to worry and be very concerned.
2: Okay, and Doctor, since you have a, a huge knowledge and your background is pediatrics, when the babies um, become ill, are there, do they have different symptoms versus an adult?
3: Yeah, the, the, obviously the babies can't uh, complain, so we, for the most part, have to uh, know the, the what to look for, and in fact, I'm glad you brought up the issue of babies, because they are more one of the more vulnerable age group, um, The the younger they are. So... Babies will have things like irritability, they will be feeding very poorly, they'll be very difficult to console, they may have fever, or they may even um, uh, feel cold. In other words, um, the temperature will be lower than normal, they'll be hypothermic. Um, they will not have the normal uh, alertness, they may not look you in the eyes. So all those signs and symptoms put together show that something is seriously wrong with an infant and it should be taken
2: seriously. Exactly. And we know that the, the children, uh, even when they're fighting C. difficile, they dehydrate a lot faster than the adults.
3: That's correct. In fact, um, uh, many of the diarrheal diseases, as you point out, uh, um, can lead to sepsis. But also, one of the cardinal signs in children with infections is uh, decreased nutrition intake. They don't want to eat. So, a combination of um, diarrhea at times with sepsis, diarrheal diseases, or just failure to take enough nutrition with a fever leads them to get dehydrated very quickly.
2: Okay, that's so true. And, Dr. Why do you feel that, um, why is it so few people know about this diagnosis?
3: Uh, It's a very interesting, uh, uh, sort of uh, um, very intriguing question to me because we have done surveys for the last few years. In several countries across the world and invariably we find that very few people understand sepsis so for instance if you go to um, Germany in which where we have the Global Sepsis Alliance is based uh, about 49 50 percent would understand the word sepsis in Canada it's about 12 to 15 percent in Brazil 7 percent United States is probably about 12 15 percent also and I think the reason why well there are several reasons I think people understand The issue of blood poison and more interesting, blood poison was a term that was used since the early 1900s, and I think people understand that. The reason that, um, to some extent, um, that people do not really understand sepsis is that, for the most part, many of the major organizations have worked in individual disease silos. For instance, you may hear uh, people will understand pneumonia. They may understand severe pneumonia. They may understand diarrhea, severe diarrhea, meningitis. Um, etc. Uh, but what they uh, are very surprise is when we tell them that all these infections, once they affect uh, your organs, is really sepsis. So I think that people understand severe infection, they understand severe illness, but the, the understanding that sepsis is the underlying cause that um, you know, the final result of all these infections is what they uh, have difficulty grasping.
2: Okay. Well, thank you so much for that uh, thorough explanation, doctor. And we are going to pause at this time for a commercial break. And when we return, we will continue learning more about sepsis, number one, preventable cause of death worldwide, with Dr. Tex. Kisun and Ray Shackner will be joining us a little later. So stay tuned and we'll be right back after these important messages.
1: The C. diff Foundation offers global community support sessions. C. diff can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety, as well as learn about upcoming events, teleconferences, and support sessions. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 1-844-4C-DIFF. 1-844-367-2343 one 367 2343 Or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust.
0: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN.
1: You are listening to C. diff Spores and More. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala.
2: Welcome back to C. diff Spores and More, and we welcome our listeners joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce to you Dr. Naranjan Tex Kasoon. and Dr. Kasoon joins us today to discuss sepsis, number one preventable cause of death worldwide. Welcome back to the program, Doctor.
3: Thank you very much, Nancy.
2: You're very welcome, and thank you for joining us today. And before break, we were discussing the basics about sepsis, and we would also like to know if you wouldn't mind explaining how is sepsis diagnosed and treated.
3: Okay, yeah, I think sepsis, as I said, uh, is a conglomeration of signs and symptoms. So first, I would go. Uh, the, uh, I would say the individual, as we mentioned before, the individual who feels. Um, out of the ordinary with fever, chills, rigors, malaise, cough, etc., loss of appetite, and basically who's feeling uh, very sick, um, it is possible they may have sepsis. So if someone, uh, an individual, think they have uh, sepsis, they need to take this very seriously and they need to seek help. So sepsis is diagnosed in several ways. There's no one single test, no magic bullet for sepsis. But if I uh, diagnose early and treated early, the outcome is very good. And indeed, in fact, uh, they, uh, later on in its course, it is very obvious in many cases, but then it may be too late. So we diagnose sepsis by the signs and symptoms that I mentioned before, and also the clinician will look for the target organs that may be involved. So... If the person comes in and they're having breathing problems, they will uh, look at a chest x-ray to look at if there is an infiltrate, a pneumonia, or infection in the lung. Um, they may also look at um, heart function, the echo of the heart, if there is uh, signs of shock, etc. They may also look at the kidney function by looking at urine output and looking at uh, uh, creatinine and, um, uh, and BUN, um, which are indicators of... Uh, uh, Kidney function, and we also look at uh, the perfusion of the body, etc. So a thorough physical examination, history, and few tests can give you the diagnosis. And in fact, in most cases, the history and the physical examination is uh, good enough to institute treatment. Uh, there are other things that could be done. Uh, you will hear about cultures being done and those things to, to identify the various organisms. But in most cases, there are a few simple things that need to be done for treatment. In fact, if you look at the many parts of the world, including the UK and the United States, now we talk about sepsis 6, and they're very simple things. So uh, a patient who comes in uh, with these signs and symptoms, once you've made a diagnosis, you need to uh, start an intravenous line, give them uh, take blood cultures, give them appropriate antibiotic um, coverage, broad-spectrum antibiotics, Put them on a monitor and check their uh, their oxygen concentration such that they may need to be uh, given oxygen. In children, it's more important also to check their um, blood glucose because they may get hypoglycemic from that. But given appropriate antimicrobial agents very early on and uh, given oxygen if needed, checking the glucose, etc., is very important. For those who come in and they're showing compromise, Uh, vascular volume, they're showing signs of shock, they would require fluid um, um, infusion also. Uh, Not all will require fluid, but very early on, these are the way uh, to go. So basically, it's signs and symptoms, physical exam, a few laboratory investigations, which may be confirmatory but not needed initially, and simple measures to treat.
2: Okay, doctor, and is this why sepsis is so confusing and so difficult to diagnose right away because they mimic other illnesses?
3: Yes, sepsis can be a great mimicker, but, and, and it could be uh, confusing to diagnose, but um, I would suggest that uh, uh, to um, uh, clinicians that sepsis uh, should be considered in a differential diagnosis of any patient who... Is uh, uh, who comes in with signs and symptoms that is mentioned or who deteriorates if they're already in a hospital or facility and they start to deteriorate further, sepsis should be considered um, as, a, as a differential diagnosis. Now, in all cases, it may not turn out to be sepsis, but the important thing is that if sepsis is considered and cannot be ruled out, then appropriate uh, antimicrobial therapy should be started pending confirmation. If the um, the patient turns out not to be septic, then the antimicrobial agents can be stopped um, uh, as soon as possible. On the other hand, if we do not treat early, the longer we wait, it's going to be more difficult to treat and it's going to be associated with higher morbidity and mortality.
2: Exactly. And, Doctor, can you explain how sepsis can be prevented?
3: Yes, Um if we look at sepsis sepsis and uh, it 's different what we see in uh, resource poor and rich, rich areas. Some people talk about industrialized nations and poorer countries. But there are many factors that predispose someone to sepsis so for instance, we talk about the social determinants of health, malnutrition, poor housing, um, uh, water and sanitation, and those things so the basic necessities of good. Health, public health, and uh, is, is very important. The other thing that can be pre- that we can prevent sepsis is with good asepsis. So hand hygiene is very important um, in all cases, and also uh, vaccination. There are many diseases, sepsis uh, va- uh, that are vaccine-preventable diseases. So, for instance, you will have seen um, in the last few years we have had measles outbreak in in North America. A measles is a vaccine-preventable cause of sepsis. Tetanus is another that could be vaccinated. In many other parts of the world, there's polio. Rotavirus for diarrheal diseases is very important in young children, um, and it's uh, uh, used in many of the places where... Um, uh, rotavirus and diarrheal disease is very high. We also have vaccines for um, the hemophilus influenza and the pneumococcus, which also causes pneumonia and sepsis. And in fact, in many cases where appropriate vaccination uh, programs are in place, um, the the morbidity and mortality and the incidence of sepsis has decreased um, dramatically. So I think prevention of sepsis, we need to really go upstream and look at bo- both the social determinants of health, look at good, uh, having good public health systems from a policy point of view, and also, as I said, individuals taking responsibility and getting the appropriate vaccines um, uh, um, to protect themselves. Uh, from the clinician point of view, we also um, have to be... Uh, very diligent in the way we use antimicrobial agents because while antimicrobial agents are very good to treat infections, we have to make sure that we do not use it indiscriminately.
2: Yes, and we have been uh, hearing a lot about that, and thank you for bringing that up and uh, limit the antimicrobial antibiotic use and knowing when it's going to work. Yep. And Dr. What is the role of the government and policymakers in this process?
3: Oh, I'm glad you asked, uh, Nancy. Uh, it's a very, very important role. And I think that when, when you look at sepsis, sepsis is so pervasive within the society. I think government and policymakers need to understand that not only it's, uh, there, there's a large burden and that um, it's uh, really a a big health imperative that they need to understand, it also has great uh, uh, economic sort of disadvantage to population in which sepsis is high. In fact, uh, the disability uh, adjusted life years lost, that's uh, years lost for productive years from working, et cetera, is very high from those who have sepsis, especially among the young. And indeed, it has been said that infectious disease and sepsis are still in human resources. So government and policymakers know. I need to know that. So what they need to know is, uh, is that they need to uh, put systems in place that uh, allows us to have the right data, get the right data to know the burden of sepsis, and also to use it as a yardstick of measure of health and hold um, the healthcare systems accountable to decrease the burden of sepsis. So when I talk about government and policy makers, I talk about uh, things like um, uh, the CDC, the uh, World Health Organization, global burden of disease um, statistics that we need, and also um, administrators and policy makers within healthcare systems and hospitals. When we look at uh, the major epidemics we've had recently, H1N1, H5N1, we look at Ebola in Africa and um, and um, and uh, other things like MERS that came up recently again, SARS that was previous. All these are sepsis, and all these have big implications not only for the individuals who are affected, but for governments, countries, and hence uh, the government and uh, policymakers need to be shoulder-to-shoulder with the clinicians and with the public in trying to address uh, um, sepsis by decreasing the burden, and by putting measures in place such that we can understand very quickly uh, if there are uh, outbreaks anywhere and treat it appropriately.
2: Okay. And, Dr., is there anything our listeners can do to help in this process?
3: Uh, They can do a a lot. In fact, we try to encourage through the Global Sepsis Alliance To engage the public at every stage in the uh, sort of uh, this journey of decreasing the burden and managing sepsis. I think that uh, the public, obviously, governments and policymakers would respond to public sort of um, requests and demands also, but the fact is that unless the general public also understands sepsis, the demand from the uh, representative, policymakers, etc., that something is done, um, it is unlikely that we are going to make see seismic changes. The uh, public can also help by asking their clinicians um, uh, basically about sepsis, what they know about sepsis, et cetera, And indeed, those who end up in hospital need to be advocates for their own health by um, and even before you end up in hospital actually is asking the question whether health systems are recording sepsis outcomes are they do they have protocols in place to recognize and treat sepsis and do they have transparent processes that the public can see as to what the outcomes are i know there diff- it's very patchy and in some areas it um, has taken legs and it's working very well some areas it uh, doesn't But I think that um, the public can really help us in this by really understanding what sepsis is and really contributing in the discussion at every stage. And in fact, World Sepsis Day is one of the things that uh, we try to raise the awareness and get everyone involved.
2: Thank you, Doctor, and thank you for giving that full explanation and and, uh, information to our world listeners. And before we go to break, I just want to uh, provide this to our listeners. uh, As uh, Dr. Kassoon had talked about policy and uh, sepsis and how to get involved, there are a few websites here. That uh, everyone, if they have a pen and paper, if they can, they can always re-listen to this uh, and get the information. But we have the website for the Global Sepsis Alliance is www.global-sepsis-alliance.org. Then we also have www.world-sepsis-day.org. And in the United States and worldwide, we have the CDC site, which is the www.cdc.gov forward slash sepsis. And then we also have Sepsis Alliance at www.sepsis.org. Those are four great uh, websites to learn more about sepsis and how to get involved with the organizations raising awareness worldwide. We um, thank you again, Dr. Kasun, for sharing this important information with our global listeners today. Um, We are going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue listening more about and learning more about sepsis and the life after sepsis with guest Ray Schachter, a sepsis survivor. Stay tuned, we'll be right back after these messages.
1: Join us on September 20th in Atlanta, Georgia for the fourth annual International Raising C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo. Visit the C. diff Foundation website at cdifffoundation.org for event details or contact the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 for additional information. Again, the website is cdifffoundation.org.
2: Welcome back to C-DIPS, Boards & More, and we welcome our listeners joining us today. Ray Schachter is a sepsis survivor. He joins us today to discuss life after sepsis and sepsis number one preventable cause of death worldwide. It is a pleasure to introduce you to Ray Schachter and bring him on to this program. Hi, Ray.
5: Hi, Nancy. Thanks very much for having me on uh, to discuss this important
2: issue. Well, thank you so much for being here with us and we welcome you and we appreciate you being here with us today to share your very personal experience and journey through sepsis with our global listeners. So, we're just going to ask you to ask you to start. I don't know how you where you begin to start, but how did it all begin with you?
5: Well, I think Texas made uh, some uh, interesting uh, and important observations about sepsis uh, because it is uh, difficult to uh, diagnose, and um, uh, I think my case illustrates uh, that uh, physicians generally don't expect to see sepsis in a relatively young, healthy individual without a prior medical history that or uh, immune deficiency. Uh so for me I was uh in uh, I would say excellent physical condition athletic uh, 50 years old almost to the day um, and uh I think that uh, my symptoms uh which Texas actually described were really not uh, recognized as being symptoms of sepsis so um, uh to give you a very brief rundown uh, I suffered from an extremely high fever uh, for approximately only four or five hours. And the fever went away, but it was over 105 Fahrenheit. I didn't realize the significance of that, although I certainly told my uh, doctor, the doctor in the emergency, about it. Um, but the following day, I had uh, extreme pain in my right hip. Uh, when i say extreme i 'm high tolerant uh highly tolerant of pain as in you know a uh, uh, not a not a um, uh, certainly not a professional athlete but uh, an active person and um, uh, this increased the next day to just an agonizing level it was beyond description. Uh, I went to emergency uh where uh, I was diagnosed uh, by the emergency physician as having inflammation, and given anti-inflammatories. Uh, there was no suspicion of sepsis, no tests done uh, of any kind. Uh, I, I can't recall whether there were any blood tests, but I was sent away and with um, a prescription for anti-inflammatories. Um, the condition got so bad over the weekend uh that um, the ambulance uh was called again and they said I'd already been diagnosed and they weren't going to take me back to the hospital and by the following Tuesday uh and I should add that every hour counts with sepsis and I was already 4 or 5 days out uh I had uh I was hallucinating uh I was into acute uh, sepsis, sepsis shock, and had um, uh, ARDS. Uh, my lungs were compromised. I had extremely low oxygen levels, so low they thought the measuring machine was broken, and it was only through absolute good luck and good health, prior health, that I survived. Um, I know I'm taking a little bit more time than perhaps your listeners would, would uh, uh, need here but um, I was in a, an induced coma for 10 days uh, I did survive and um, uh, very luckily And uh, there were a lot of repercussions resulting
3: from this
2: and we appreciate you Ray for taking your time and for being specific and explaining the symptoms to our global listeners who really need to know this because Because it is so difficult to diagnose, and it does mimic, as Dr. said, it mimics other illnesses, Um, this is really important information, and thank you.
5: Well, in subsequent discussions with emergency physicians and others, uh, I think um, that probably I should have been more thoroughly examined in my initial visit. By the time of my final visit... uh, in emergency i did get excellent care from the best emergency doctors uh in british columbia uh which really saved my life uh, but the um the impact on my family the impact financially uh the impact uh on me physically uh following you know this episode uh, have been very very significant uh, I could take a moment to describe them if you wish, Nancy.
2: Absolutely. Please do. <clears throat>
5: well,
2: you know, I had
5: um, at the time a five-year-old uh, who had to go through what was, seemed to be a death sentence for me. Uh, two other kids, uh, one who traveled back from overseas uh, on an emergency flight. Uh, my entire family were at my bedside, and um, it took me uh, almost a year and a half to recover, which included uh, a hip replacement on a temporary basis and then a full hip replacement, and uh, 10 months on crutches, which compromised my back and my shoulders, um, and, uh, the, of course, the financial loss, those are the short-term impacts. The long-term impacts still require epidemiological study, but I can say that uh, anecdotally, they're clearly a loss of life energy, uh, continual sort of pain, joint pain, all my joints were compromised, um, additional uh, hip replacement on the other side, and um, you know, who, uh, the connection between all these symptoms and and uh, afterwards, and the sepsis is not an absolute scientific link, but I can say anecdotally, I certainly think that this had a lifelong impact. And the cognitive effects are being studied as well. Hopefully, as uh, one of the senior people in the field told me, uh, they don't a- apply to everyone
2: no exactly and and sepsis is a very individualized you're brave, and everything you went through ray it's it's amazing, and we're just so glad you pulled through it and I know the short term um, repercussions are there and have you been left with any long term um, you know syndromes or any long term experience and symptoms from this
5: Well, we had a webinar uh, through the um uh, gSA Global sepsis Alliance uh, in September there was another uh, a journalist who was about the same age as I was when she and she had a similar experience though not so serious and We discussed the this uh, uh, lack this um, energy loss which she and others and I suffer, and that 's apart from the physical Issues, uh, the um, hip replacements and other operations, uh, but um, uh, yeah, I would say that there that this is an area I would like to see researched more thoroughly, and it has big financial implications as well. You know, when you think of person of a, uh, and you know, I can speak for myself, but think of uh, as Texas mentioned of the young. People who either die or have lifelong health problems resulting from sepsis and the medical costs in the initial stages are, are inordinate. So prevention and early diagnosis is absolutely essential and healthcare workers and government agencies have to realize this. This is what we're trying to do through the Global Sepsis
2: Alliance. Exactly, and you're doing a wonderful job raising awareness and and having them re, you know um, focus on the prevention and early di- diagnosis of sepsis. And Ray, what do you expect from hospitals, the healthcare system, and policymakers in general?
5: Well, I think the uh, in in the industrialized countries protocols are being put into place. Uh, there's always a concern that, um the, the healthcare system is overextended and healthcare workers are not all that keen to see more protocols, uh, and, uh, there's the implementation of the protocols that's, that is a concern. And then, of course, in the, uh, poorer countries, uh, you don't have access to medical care, uh, you don't have uh, even rudimentary treatment such as administering fluids and antibiotics becomes uh, extremely uh, problematic. Um, in terms of the North American healthcare system, I was um, a little bit surprised to at the story that um, the journalist told because it was not all that different from mine and 20 years have passed and protocols have been put into place. But she... Two was, you know, her symptoms were ignored in a way. And uh, Texas said the differential diagnosis is critical here.
2: Yes, and, and I, we all agree with you there. And um, Ray, what could have been done better in your case?
5: In my case, uh, I think that uh, the initial diagnosis uh was uh wrong and uh then um, the uh i think uh, trained medical healthcare workers you know should not refuse to take a person uh to hospital uh so that could have been improved um, but i think that the awareness and knowledge by the medical profession and medical workers generally Is essential. I have to say that um, in working with the GSA, with people like Tex and Conrad Reinhart, uh, I've been totally impressed with the commitment that uh, the the emergency and critical care doctors and others in the medical profession have to serve, to to try and remedy and ameliorate this situation with sepsis.
2: And the efforts are applauded, and your efforts for what you're doing with the GSA are also applauded, and we hope that you continue healing and recovering one day at a time from this life-threatening diagnosis. We are going to take a short break. We are going to pause for a commercial break now. When we return, we will continue learning more about the Global Sepsis Alliance with guests Dr. Kisun and Ray Schachter. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages.
0: Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. To
1: help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll free 1 844 4 CDF. That's 1 844 367 2343. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala.
2: Welcome back to C. diff, spores, and more, Global Broadcasting Network. We welcome our listeners today, and thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to reintroduce Dr. Naranjan Tex Kisun with Mr. Ray Schachter. Welcome back to the program, gentlemen.
5: Thank you. Thank you. you,
2: You're very welcome. We're so glad you're both here. And this is our last segment of the program. And Dr. Kassoon, I will start with you and would like to know if you wouldn't mind sharing a closing message with our global listeners today.
3: Sure. Um, I think uh, I would like all listeners to know that sepsis is one of the oldest affliction known to man. And the fact is that there is a lot that needs to be done, and we are all in this together. Um, the mere fact that we are having this uh, this conversation, it gives rise to optimism, and I hope that many of the those who are listening today will go on the website that you mentioned and join the Global Sepsis Alliance. And none of us are immune to sepsis, and in fact, we should always think about it Um, in any case, as Ray has mentioned, when you have um, any form of affliction that makes you feel that poorly. The fact is that um, we are not immune to diseases from other parts of the world also, and we need to think of it not only in our local environment, but globally, and this is the reason for the Global Sepsis Alliance. For instance, with the uh, migration of people across the world, the airline flights, etc., the changing of climate, um, etc. We are seeing emergent diseases that we have never seen before. For instance, in Florida, we have seen dengue fever in the Caribbean. More and more dengue and malaria now, which uh, for years was not a major problem. We saw the issue with Ebola and aircraft flights across the world. We've seen it also with um, H1N1, H5N1, SARS, et cetera. So we now live in a global village and we all need to get involved. I would ask that uh, our listeners get engaged, ask questions, seek answers when they feel um, care, uh, um, they are ill or their care has been compromised. But even so, be proactive. Ask the doctors, ask hospital about protocols and ask policy and uh, government and policymakers how best they can serve them and how best we can all work together to really decrease the burden of sepsis globally thank you
2: Thank you, Dr. Kassoon, and you are so right. This is a global problem. This is not just one nation. It's it's global. And we thank you for your closing comments and to encourage others in getting involved, and that's what it's going to take to get the message across. Okay, and at this time we would like to bring uh, – Mr. Ray Schachtner, into the program. Ray, would you like to share the GSA information and website address again to our listeners and how they can become more involved in the organization and support the mission?
5: I'd be happy to do that. Thanks, Nancy. Uh, You, As you've mentioned, uh, the uh, Global Sepsis Alliance website is www.global-sepsis-alliance.org. And on that website, uh, you'll find a number of uh, different uh, headings and topics, including contact information. Uh I, For your listeners, I think it uh, would be interesting for them to see who the ambassadors of the GSA are, uh, the stories of uh, people who have survived, and the stories of the families of those who, unfortunately, um, either the children, uh, parents, uh uh siblings have not survived and um, uh the uh, we 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 have a um, a webinar on an annual basis there's world sepsis day uh, website which you've mentioned um, there is uh, outreach uh, we have a uh, newsletter and uh i think uh, my recommendation to those listening would be to Go to the website, read the stories, contact the people involved. The contact information is there, and uh, we'd be happy to get back to you and see how we can coordinate uh, any efforts to reduce the burden of sepsis.
2: And thank you so much, Ray, for sharing that important information with the listeners today. Everyone sign on to the websites and, and join Ray and Dr. Kasun and the uh, ambassadors and the directors of the organization. Uh, get involved to September 13th, just around the corner. And we thank you both so much again for being here on the CDF Spores and More Global Broadcasting Network and on this week's episode. And we, uh, please join us every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, as we discuss up-to-date information with topic experts and organizations focused on C. difficile infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety products, and much, much more. Once again, we thank our official sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Please take a moment, visit their website, com forward slash c Radio. The C-Diff Foundation is hosting a Raising C-Diff Awareness Tampa Bay Sunset Casual Dinner Dance on Friday, November 4th in the Newport Ritchie, Florida area. For tickets to this event, please visit the website www.cdifffoundation.org under the tab labeled 2016 Relevant out- relevant events located at the top of the page. We look forward to meeting you in November. We send out get well wishes to all of the patients being treated and recovering from C. difficile infections and all wellness draining illnesses across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corrala, and until next week, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We thank you so much for joining us this week as we learned about sepsis, a global issue and one that we can work together at uh, raising awareness for sepsis. Thank you so much again and have a great day.
1: C. Diff spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at CloroxHealthCare.com.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com.